You are listening to a presentation of Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more audio and visual content, go to streamschurch.org. Anyway, yeah, my name is Josh Davis. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, I really enjoy getting the opportunity to speak to you guys because I get to share a little bit of what's going on in our youth group and our, our heart, my heart for, for what I'm teaching. And so this summer, I decided a couple of months ago, is going to be our summer of identity. And we're talking about identity and, and what that means to a, a student in, in high school or junior high and what it means beyond that. And um, I, I think it's something that's really important because we define ourselves to the world based on what we find our identity in. So what we, we perceive to be our identity, that's what we show the rest of the world. And I think for most of us, our identity is something we spend our whole lives trying to define. Um, for our students, many of them define themselves as students because that's what they do, that's their job, day in, day out, they're students, or as sons or as daughters or as friends or as, as any number of other things. But deciding what drives that identity can posi- positively affect the course of your life. And, and I'm trying to sort of, um, you know, uh, let them know that and help them to understand that. And furthermore, deciding that you don't drive that identity at all can make life completely different and, and honestly, I, I think a lot easier when you realize that you're not the arbiter of your your fate, that there's uh, more to it than that, uh, I think it can change the course of your life. I think it's something that I'm passionate about because I've always had a hard time figuring out how to identify myself. Um, I think really it hasn't been until recently, maybe the past four or five years, that I've really figured out what my identity is. And I think that's because it's sort of uh, amoebic and it fluctuates depending on the circumstances, depending on what's happening. It can be defined in a different way. Um, just three short years ago, for instance, I had no children, so I wasn't a father. But now, that's a major part of how I define myself. When people ask me to talk about something, I like to talk about my kids and how cute they are, how funny they are, how loud they are, how annoying they are. Whatever the case may be, I love to talk about my kids because I identify as a father. And that's pretty generic, and it's easy to identify on that level, so I think we automatically jump to that level. It's one of the most, you know, at its core, it's kind of a surface thing. People can see that about you. It doesn't go too deep. It's safe to answer that. We talk about our work or what interests us, and and to a certain extent, those things do define us. But I want to ask today, is that really where our identity should, should fall? Is that really where we should source the thing that defines us from? Is that really enough? Um, and particularly, our, our culture places a lot of importance on job as a function of identity. Uh, our job sort of indicates who and where we are, especially in suburban America. And you know that because when you meet somebody, one of the first questions they ask you or you ask them is, well, what do you do? What's your job? And all of us have a job. Everybody has a job. Even if you're a, you know, a stay-at-home mom, that's more of a job than some of us have. Everybody has some sort of job, whether it's your career or uh, maybe it's volunteer work that you do that you're passionate about. There's something that you toil at, that you work, that's part of who you are, that you use to draw your identity from. Uh, when I graduated high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. None whatsoever. It's, it's a running joke. Um, I've told it several times in, in youth that I actually went to school to be a weatherman for a while. A weatherman. I could have done it. Getting all smarmy and wearing a suit and standing in front of the green screen. I could have done it. But I look back and I'm like, a weatherman? But anyway, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I changed my major about as often as I changed my socks. So roughly once a month. Only had a few pairs of socks. Turn them inside out three or four times. Um, I was so unfocused during that time that I have a million different credits in a million different things. 
I took a bunch of language classes, anything they'd let me sign up for. I took Greek, I took uh, biblical uh, Latin, I took, uh, actually I took conversational Greek, that was a thing. I took biblical Greek, I took Hebrew, I took, um, uh, I can't even remember now, Sudanese or something like that. I took like 18 different language classes, I took history classes, I took psychology classes. Literally anything they'd let me sign up for, I would take. And if they wouldn't let me sign up for it, because I was in the wrong major, then I'd change my major so I could take it. So I have all these credits and just, it's all over the place. And I took all of this in the hopes of finding my identity in one of these things. In finding the thing that really spoke to me that I thought I could sink the rest of my life into. But I decided somewhere along the way that it wasn't really smart to base my identity in something as fleeting as knowledge. Because knowledge comes and goes. The knowledge I have now isn't necessarily relevant to tomorrow or 10 years in the future or whatever. So I thought maybe I could define myself by relationships. Because that's sort of an, that's a really important part of who we are as, as humanity, as followers of Christ. Relationships are really important. So I did that. I focused on being a friend. No matter where I worked, no matter what I was doing, my focus was to be the best friend I could possibly be and share the love of Jesus with everyone I was around. I would, you know, go beyond myself to make sure that they knew that Jesus loved them, not in an obnoxious way, but in a, you know, hey, I, you know, you got a flat tire, let's go get it fixed on lunch, I'll cover it, let's go to lunch, whatever. I did things like that to communicate the love of Jesus. And it was really fulfilling on a personal level. And I really enjoyed it and I got a lot out of it, but I got burned a lot. Because people will take advantage of you when you're like that. And so I was fixing a lot of flat tires and I was buying a lot of lunches. And it was fun, but eventually I realized people were just sort of walking all over me. They weren't necessarily getting the power of Jesus. They were just getting the obnoxiousness of me. And so that kind of wore off. And then I got married and I thought, I can identify myself in that, right? I'll be the best husband ever and that's how I'll identify myself. And that's worked and I'm the best husband ever. That's it. Have a great week. (laughs) Why is that funny? No, not really. It was a good focus. It was a really, really good thing to spend my time doing. But the problem was I failed at it so often. I messed it up so often that it became really discouraging to define myself by the thing I felt like I was the most terrible at. Uh, so I, I decided that wasn't going to work. So then we had kids. And I thought, well, I'll be a really great father. That'll, that'll be how I'll define myself. And that was really fulfilling and it's really fun. But man, I was so unprepared for the challenge that children are. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And quickly I sank into the same problem I had trying to define myself by relationships or my marriage. Every time I'd fail, I would become that failure. Rather than identifying as a great father, I'd identify as the guy who failed at being a great father. And I owned the failure rather than what I was striving to be. So I went back to my job because that's the common denominator. Everybody's got a job. Everybody likes to talk about their job. I thought, I will just knock this thing out of the park. So I was working at Grand Canyon University as a software developer, and I just threw myself into it. I was working nights and weekends, and I had a really good work-life balance. I was able to to cut it off when I needed to and spend time with my family. We had a really great family life, and I I was excelling at work. People would have problems. They would call me, and I would do whatever I needed to do to get it fixed, no matter what time it was. It got to the point where people from other departments that I had nothing to do with would call me so that I would fix their problems. And I would do it. I would call and call and call until I found the person that could fix their problem. And that's what I became known for. And so I was, I was, you know, gaining this reputation, but I was starting to get looked over for raises and promotions. And I didn't feel like I was appreciated. There was no opportunity for advancement. And I got burned out. 
I started to get cynical. I started to get a little frustrated and I thought this isn't working either. And so I found myself at the end of my rope identity wise. I had no idea what to define myself by because I tried all these things, but for various reasons it had failed. To other people, I could still use my job or my family or my kids or whatever it was, but somewhere inside of me that just didn't feel like enough. Even though my family is, is one of the most wonderful things, the most wonderful part of my life, it just felt like there was more that I should be finding that I wasn't sure about. And so I, I begin to, to wonder about that, and I think everybody can relate to this um, because there's so much pressure from the world to have this figured out. We want you to know all the time, immediately, why you're here, what you're doing, and why you're doing it. There's no really time to figure it out. Even coming out of high school, um, you know, people are asking you, well, what are you going to do after high school? I don't know. Something, I guess. Get a job, go to school. We don't know necessarily what we want to do, but we have to have it figured out. And so when we define ourselves by these things that are fleeting and we fail at them, we become that failure. We, we define ourselves by the failure we feel. When you're defined as a husband and your marriage fails, what are you defined as after that? When you're defined as a parent and your kids don't behave or they don't like you and they don't want to spend time with you, then what do you define yourself as? Where does your identity lie? When you're defined by your job that you've worked at for 20 years, that you have a degree for, that you've sunk your life into, and you get unexpectedly laid off, where does your identity fall? There's nowhere for it to go. It hits the ground. All of these things are fleeting. This is what they all have in common. None of them are set in concrete. They're the houses built on sand. Somebody told me the other day, I'm rethinking my friendship with him. Somebody told me the other day, hey, you're about 15 years out from your midlife crisis. You better start preparing. I'm like, all right, thanks. You know any Corvette dealers? Like, what, I don't, why would you say that to me? And so I started thinking about it. Um, I, I was, I started doing research and I, cause I was wondering, is this midlife crisis thing, is it, is it inevitable? Is it something I should prepare for? Is it, is it going to happen to me? And so, uh, these are some of the things that define a midlife crisis. The search of an undefined dream or goal, a deep sense of remorse for goals not accomplished, a fear of humiliation among more successful colleagues, a desire to achieve a feeling of youthfulness or a need to spend more time alone or with certain peers. And so I'm reading all this and I'm looking through it and reading all this information about, you know, chemically what causes a midlife crisis and circumstantially what causes it and, and why it lands at the time it does. And before I was even thinking about this message, before I was writing this to share with you, I was just thinking identity. This is all identity issues. It's not a midlife crisis. It's an identity crisis because you identify yourself in all of these things. You get roughly halfway through your life and you think, that's not what I want to be known for. I don't want to be identified for that job that I lost. I don't want to be identified for that marriage that failed. I don't want to be identified for those kids that hate me. I want to be identified for this sweet car I drive, right? And so we, we shift our identity. It's an identity crisis. And a lot of the issues we have in life, especially the stage I'm in and the things I see my peers going through, they all boil down to identity. So if we get that, if we understand that, what happens if we can erase that issue? What happens if we define ourselves by something that isn't fleeting, something that's concrete, that's never changing? What if we just remove that issue altogether? And so I want to look at, at what can happen when God takes the reins and manually resets someone's identity. So this is First uh, Samuel chapter 16. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. 
Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah, but Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So David is is just not even considered in this. You know, they know what's going to happen. They know that he's coming to look at, at all of all of Jesse's sons. And David just not even didn't even make the top 10. Right. He's he's out in the fields. We're going to go to this thing. You stay out here because somebody's got to watch the sheep and the goats. And David has always identified himself by what he lacked. He was small, wasn't tall. So he lacked height. Right. It says he was attractive, but they haven't noted that he was attractive until this point. So he couldn't have been that attractive, right? He didn't have that going for him. He lacked something there, some maybe charisma or whatever it was. He was someone regarded uh, of low importance and low intelligence. And his entire life, his brothers, uh, probably even his father and, and everyone around him had been speaking these things over him, saying, you're too short. You're not smart enough. You're not quite as attractive as Eliab. Go out in the field, right? That's all you're good for. So that's how he identified. He began to own that. He said, well, I guess that must be who I am. That's what everybody else says I am. That's got to be who I am. That makes sense. In fact, everybody knows all these things about him. So when Samuel asked for him, everybody's like, you, you don't want that guy. He's the short, weird looking guy that watches the goats. You don't want the goat watcher. Okay. Take one of us. Look at how tall I am. I'd make a great politician. You don't want him. Um, and so it's interesting because God physically takes the reins in this moment and chooses to redefine David. He completely resets his identity in this verse. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected Eliam. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Imagine how David felt hearing this later on, what was said while he was out in the field. Here he is thinking that he's never going to amount to anything. He knows what's happening. He's like, I'm not even good enough to go stand and and be rejected properly. They won't even reject me to my face. They just assume I'm going to be rejected and make me watch the goats. And so he gets called in, right? He's called out of the field and brought in. And they say, I don't know what happened. I don't know what this guy's thinking. But apparently he thinks you're the one who's supposed to be the next, you know, king. I I have no idea. I don't know what's going on. Imagine how David felt in that. He's called out of the field, physically removed from his former identity. And being brought out not just to, you know, mop the floor or to serve the table, but to work in the court of the king. He's taken from the lowest place and elevated to the highest place, all because God reset his identity. Imagine his thoughts before this happened, while he's out there. 
I guess that whole beating Goliath thing was just a fluke. That was weird. I guess I'll just always be a goat watcher, right? Because he'd heard these things his entire life, he had resigned himself to that identity. He decided that that's who he was and nothing was going to change that. The series that we're, we're doing in youth right now is, is discussing what advertising teaches versus what the Bible teaches. It's called osmosis because we absorb these things without realizing it, right? If you're exposed to enough, there's a statistic that uh, the average teenager is exposed to six hours of media a day in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's through Facebook or their phones or TV or the internet, they're absorbing all of this without even realizing it. And if we can look critically at what those things are teaching us without realizing we're learning them and compare them to what the Word of God says, we can make decisions better based on that. And so the first week I talked about success and happiness and what the world says that should look like. And so if you, if you look at this, if you start to, to think to yourself, well, what does success and happiness look like in the eyes of the world or in the eyes of marketing and media? You, you think of, you know, the giant house with, with all these extra bedrooms that nobody could ever possibly use. The perfectly manicured lawn, right? It's always perfectly green. And if there's a brown spot on it, they're selling you some product that you spray on it. And in seven minutes, it'll be green again, right? It's always perfectly cut. It's, it's, it's really nice cars like Lexuses with bows on top for Christmas, if there was a Lexus in my driveway on Christmas, I'd be like, hey, thanks for the car payment. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you too. We can't eat dinner. It's perfectly clean houses, right? There's nothing out of place, unless it's just the dad home, in which case the place is a disaster, which I think is a little bit sexist. It's not untrue, but it's sexist. And so unconsciously, we begin to, to build up what we know based on these cues from the media. We start to grade ourselves subconsciously on what we see in advertising and what we see on TV and what we see in magazines and what we see. And even Facebook can do this. They've talked about how uh, we, we, only, we tend to only share good things, either good things or bad things on Facebook. And so people think your life is fantastic because you always only post about the vacations or the gourmet meal you're eating or whatever. And people start to grade themselves against that and think, well, I don't, I don't have any gourmet meals. I don't, I don't go to a party. My life is terrible, right? Because we're always looking at other people and other things to gauge our lives. And so just like David, we resign ourselves to the field we're in. We say to ourselves, my marriage failed, so I am a failure. I'll never be a good husband or a good wife, much less a great one. We say to ourselves, I got fired or laid off. I'm useless. I can't keep a job. I'm just a loser. We say, my kids hate me. I'll always be a jerk that no one could possibly ever love, right? We live inside of that field. And, and what's interesting to me about it is it's all, it's all set up for us. It's the easy thing to do. When you are old enough to be aware of things, you find this field that's already been tilled, the rows are neat, and you just happen to walk over there, and before you know it, you've planted your identity in it. And then it begins to grow and it begins to get bigger and uglier and more hurtful. And then you realize at some point in your life where it's been. And you look out to the other side of the field. And you see God standing there. And he's calling you to redefine yourself. To say, don't believe what, what is in that field. What you've grown there is not who you are. What I have for you is who you are. But you see this giant thing that you've grown, that you've been, you know, uh, working on for years, that you've, you've toiled at, that, that media has, has made you believe that you can't be anything successful. And so you say to God, no, I can't, there's nothing I can do. It's already, this is who I am. I'm sorry, I can't move. The thing is though, God has already reset your identity. 
He's already called you out of your field, but we're still standing in it a lot of the time. We hear his voice. Maybe we can even see him moving, but we stand still. We, we shout back. We don't even, we keep our feet planted and we, we turn our heads and cup our hands and say, no, sorry, I can't, I can't come over there. This is who I am. I don't, I don't know anything else. I've failed enough. I'm a failure. You just, you messed up with me. Sorry. You can't, there's nothing you can do. Sorry. And we live in that. And we own that. And we stay there. Because unfortunately, the world's voice is much louder than his voice. We have to strain to hear him. We have to close our eyes and and focus our minds and and cut everything else, all the distractions. We have to put down our phone for 15 seconds. That's a problem I have. We have to turn off the TV. We have to turn off the computer. We have to just stop and engage with him. And sometimes it's just too hard. We think it's easier to stop listening and get back to work in the field, that field that he's trying to call us out of. We have so many things telling us it doesn't have to be that way. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 23 through 24 say, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Romans 8.14-15 through 15 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's just four. That's four examples. There are 66 books full of other things that are telling you where your true identity lies. We are not defined by that field that we've planted everything in. We're not defined by the the nourishment that the world has given that seed that we planted. We're not defined by what we have failed at or even what we have succeeded at. We're not defined by the world's truth, but by His truth and what He says is true. And He says that no matter what you've done or haven't done, you were loved enough that He died on the cross to save you. That what other people tell us about ourselves is not the truth. The moment that this changed for me, the moment, and honestly, it wasn't a moment of revelation. It was a moment of exhaustion. It wasn't a moment where I said, I get it now. I'm going to do this. It was a moment where I said, I have nothing else left. This is my last hope. And sometimes we have to get to that place because everything else is so loud. But the moment this changed for me, I stopped trying to define myself as anything other than a follower of Jesus and a child of God. Someone that God loves. John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That was how he identified himself. He identified himself by the love that God had for him. He didn't identify himself as, you know, uh, the guy who messed up, right? He didn't identify himself as the guy who's in charge. He identified himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. That was his identity. Regardless of what I've done or what I've failed at, regardless if the world thinks I'm too fat or too mean or too unemployed or have had too many failed relationships, I don't care what the world thinks anymore because the creator of the universe has already told me who I am by dying on the cross to redefine me. So it doesn't matter. 
Nothing else matters. Paul says everything else is garbage compared to what Jesus has done on the cross and that includes the false identities that that we build up. He's taken me out of the field. He's pulled me out of the field and offered me the opportunity to serve in his courts. And that looks like something different for everybody. Maybe it is your workplace. Maybe that's your mission field. Maybe it's sharing the love of Christ with people. Maybe it's volunteering somewhere. Maybe it's, it's loving on a friend when they need it. Maybe it's providing for a physical need that they have. But you've been taken out of your field and offered the opportunity to work in the courts of the king. What I know is that I am his regardless of anything else that happens or anything else that anyone says. And so I want to ask you today, what field are you standing in? What have you grown? What is your identity that you've grown that you've let the world speak into you? Are you still wearing that? Can you even hear his voice anymore? Maybe you've taken a few steps toward him. Maybe you've started to engage with him, you know, mentally and emotionally. But you haven't really taken a leap yet. You're still in the field. Stop walking. Stop stepping carefully and run to the edge of the field because he's calling you out of it. Run out of the field into the arms of your Savior. He doesn't care how many failed relationships you've had, how many jobs you've lost, or how many bills are unpaid. He just wants you. Nothing more, nothing less. He loves you, and He wants you to love Him. You have the chance today to accept what He's already done for you. Not to stand in the field saying, but, but, but you don't understand. You have the chance to drop everything and run full speed out of your field and not look back at what the world is telling you because it's all garbage. He lived and died with the sole purpose of bringing us new life, to bring you back into who he made you to be. And the great news is you have purpose. Everybody has purpose. And it's not a mystery. It's not something you have to find at the bottom of the ocean or at the top of a mountain. Your purpose is not to please the world, but just to love him and let him love you and love his people the same way. So I'm going to invite the worship team up right now, and I I want to pray for you. I really want to give you the opportunity to leave that field behind because I firmly believe that everybody in here has at some point built up that identity that just isn't true. And we live in that, and it causes us pain and frustration, and he wants so badly for that to be gone. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we choose in this moment to recognize that you are the arbiter of our identity You are the only true authority, Lord. You deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise, and it is you who defines us. And so right now, we actively reject what the world has told us about ourselves. We actively reject what we've let people speak and sow into us. We actively reject the lies that the enemy has reinforced for years and years and years, and we embrace that we are a new creation in you. And I stand against the enemy right now and I rebuke him in the name of Jesus and say, you have no more power to spread lies. You have no more power to hold people in their field, to strap them down because we were removed from the spirit of slavery in the name of Jesus. And so we're not taking slow steps, Lord. We're not being careful, but we are running full speed out of that field into your arms. We believe what you said about us. We believe that you died on the cross to save us. And we thank you and we worship you for that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. Email any questions to streamschurch at msn.com. 
The mission of Streams Church is very simple, to lead people into their life calling, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is challenging, growing, and purposeful. For more information about service times, location, or events, go to streamschurch.org.